Welcome to the seventh episode of the Thoughts from the Glen podcast, your stop for discussion concerning meaningful topics in life. The title of this episode is Overcoming Fear in Darkness. I'm Jason Truett Glenn, and in this episode, I'll be discussing my own journey in confronting fear, the dark places it took me, and how I overcame it and continue to battle against it. On January 15, 1933, Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave a sermon on fear at a Vesper service, framing his admonition around the Matthew 8 passage about Jesus calming the storm after the disciples became overwhelmed with fear. Near the beginning of the sermon, Bonhoeffer painted a picture of, of what fear often does to us. These were his words that evening. Anyone who has seen naked fear revealed who has been its victim in terrifying loneliness, fear of an important decision, fear of a heavy stroke of fate, losing one's job, an illness, fear of of a vice that one can no longer resist, to which one is enslaved, fear of disgrace, fear of another person, fear of dying. That person knows that fear is only one of the faces of evil itself, one form by which the world at enmity with God, grasps for someone. Nothing can make a human being so conscious of the reality of powers opposed to God in our lives as this loneliness, this helplessness, this fog spreading over everything, this sense that there is no way out, and this raving impulse to get oneself out of this hell of hopelessness. The earliest fear I can remember is the fear of tight places. My mother related this story to me that when I was less than a year old, my brother rolled me up in a sleeping bag and stuffed me under his bed in his room when my mother wasn't around. When my mother walked by the room and noticed I was missing, she asked my brother where I was, and he, he told her that I was under his bed. My mother rushed to pull me out and found me hyperventilating. I had two asthma attacks as a toddler, and so the situation could have honestly killed me, but I'm not sure if it was this situation that got the ball rolling or something else, but as a kid, my brother, four years older than me, would hold me down and smother me in, in the frequent wrestling matches that we engaged in. If I felt myself being restrained, I'd freak out, and uh, mom or dad would come to save the day, of course. I was also afraid of heights at a young age. We lived in Manitou Springs, Colorado at the base of Pikes Peak and when I, I started elementary school. And my brother and I would often hike in the mountains behind our house. Uh, I was an adventurous child for the most part, and, but I remember getting stuck on some steep ledges a few times where I distinctly remember fearing for my life. But these fears didn't compare to my fear of the dark. After becoming aware uh, of the demonic forces that resided in the spiritual world, I imagined them everywhere. Uh, This reminds me of what C.S. Lewis talks about uh, in the Screwtape Letters, Um, this idea that uh, they're around every corner, and uh, uh, there was a fear, uh, again, that they, they are a constant threat in one's life. And, of course, once I, I watched uh, movies like The Wizard of Oz, 
uh, I became terrified of witches at night as well. Uh, stuffed animals, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, as awkward as that may sound, but stuffed animals became a coping mechanism for me. And the more I had on, on the bed with me, the more I felt secure. Uh, as we enter the Christmas season, I'm also reminded that I loved to sleep under the Christmas tree as a child. With all its lights uh, and joy, partially because I, I simply loved Christmas, but possibly even more so because it felt like a, a very safe place from dark forces. I felt like as long as I was under the Christmas tree, under those lights, uh, the wickedness, the witches, the demons, uh, couldn't reach me there. Later in my childhood, my, my father partnered with a revivalist on occasion named Mickey Bonner. And Mickey was the most confident, spiritually and physically impressive man I'd ever seen uh, up to that point. He had this deep, powerful voice, and he would come and uh, speak uh, at my father's churches and do revivals, and uh, he'd teach the congregation the power of the name of Jesus. He taught me that even saying the name of Jesus was a powerful tool for Christians in the face of demonic attack. So I used it, and I used it often at night when fear be began to creep in when the lights went out, and it worked for the most part. I really did feel more assured that I was going to be all right when I stated the name of Jesus confidently. And then, as I grew older, I added a direct rebuke to Satan in the name of Jesus as I began to grow in understanding of the nature of spiritual warfare. Um, even into my young, young adult and uh, early married years, I would uh, wake up sometimes in the middle of the night uh, where I felt a, a, a dark demonic weight, the force, and I'd, I'd wake up um, from my sleep actively rebuking Satan. Uh, so this was something that um, I learned to use uh, to um, obtain power against that which I was afraid of. But again, this wasn't the end of my fear. It wasn't, uh, wasn't the extent of my fear. As I've mentioned in prior episodes, I moved around a lot and had to try and settle into new public schools in a, a different state every two to three years, and, and this made it difficult to socially acclimate, especially considering I was always the oddball in every public school I, I went to. I remember the bullying beginning in Flint, Michigan, I think. I was, I was the very opposite of the average kid that came from uh, an atheist or nominal Christian blue-collar family. I remember the only kid there was to, uh, that I could play with on my street was uh, this boy whose father was a factory worker and his mother was a bit detached, to say the least. Uh, they were a rougher, rougher bunch. But this kid was tough and popular in my school. Uh, he played with me because I was... The only kid on his block, and, and probably because he could terrorize me in any given moment. He knew my, my convictions and what I couldn't do, what I couldn't listen to, what I couldn't watch. And he took advantage of those realities. I remember him tricking me into coming down in, into his basement one day and then holding me down and forcing me to listen to ACDC's Hell's Bells. 
Uh, may sound funny to some of you, but again, it was a pretty terrifying experience for me as a child. Being restrained in a dark basement while a kid played demonic song, that was the stuff of nightmares for me. There were a few kids like that at school, and I felt the anxiety every time I went. Uh, would they target me? Would I be bullied on the bus ride home? When we decided to move back to Houston, Texas in the middle of, of my sixth grade year, um, I was excited. I, I wanted out uh, of a lot of the, again, oppression, the bullying that I experienced in Flint. And it was exciting to, to be able to go back uh, to a, a place that my parents had talked so fondly of and, and uh, that I apparently had <laughs> friends, friends uh, at uh, that I was uh, friends with as a toddler. Uh, but the reality is, is that I went from being the sixth grade, top, top grade in elementary school in Flint, Michigan. Sixth grade was in elementary in Flint. And I went to uh, being the lowest grade in middle school. Sixth grade was in middle school in, in Houston, Texas. And that in itself was intimidating. But I was still excited, again, nonetheless. But my excitement did not last long. Uh, as it once again became apparent that I was not in the in crowd. So many of the students drank alcohol, even in sixth grade, and, and were sexually active. Uh, and, of course, used profanity and, and watched movies I couldn't watch. And, and I was a good Baptist preacher's kid who did nothing uh, and even attempted to share the gospel with other students. Uh, it also didn't help that I had uh, eyesight problems and had to sit at the front of the class to see the chalkboard until my family was able to afford glasses. But if you've done your history, you'll know that wearing glasses back in the 1980s was just another huge sign you carried around that said, bully me, please. The rule in, in my home was that fighting was off limits. I feared my father in a good way, but I feared him far more than I feared anyone else, and I and I dare not I dared not violate uh, his rules. The fact that I was on the football team worked for me and, and against me. I gave it gave me a, a certain clout among some, but it also exposed me on a daily basis to alpha males that desired to put me in my place, and they did. I was punched a lot. I was verbally bullied on a daily basis. Again, I became terrified to go to school each day. Thankfully, I still made excellent grades because of my mother's diligence in making me do homework, but my social life at school was a nightmare. I had mainly moved on from my fear of the dark, but the fear of being bullied was tremendous. As with many in my situation, I developed coping mechanisms, and they were mostly very unhealthy. My two primary go-to methods became to act crazy, and to develop the skills at tearing people apart with my words. I couldn't fight, but that didn't mean I couldn't hurt those kids that I was afraid of. In a boy's locker room, which where much bullying took place in my life, I began hitting graded lockers with my fists in order to show I had no pain. I thought that showing those kids that I didn't feel pain would make them stop hitting me, stop bullying me. So I hit lockers all the time, bloodying my knuckles each week. Ironically, I began letting them hit me in the jaw to show them that they couldn't hurt me. I remember one kid telling me 
to meet him after school in the locker room so he, he could uh, fight me and beat me up. I was scared. But I knew that if I acted crazy, that chances were that he'd leave me alone. So I climbed up on the top of the lockers and ranted to myself as he entered the locker room. He called me crazy, and he left me alone. I started to notice their own emotional and character weaknesses, and I began to verbally attack when I felt threatened. I was entertaining the darkness in that, in that sense. About the time I started to gain a, a level of confidence and notoriety in my freshman year of high school in Houston, uh, we moved to Indiana uh, the summer before my sophomore year, and then the process began again. But this time, I, I had a proven methodology. They began making fun of me uh, for my religious beliefs and moral boundaries. But this time, I had a proven tactic. I, uh, I toned, the, the, toned the crazy down a bit, but I still hit the lockers, showing I had no pain, and left my growing uh, sarcasm have free reign. I generally had solidarity with the kids who were different and bullied, but I also began doing some bullying of my own. I still shared Christ, but my heart was progressively getting harder. When I went off to college at Texas A&M, I joined the Corps of Cadets, and while the fear I experienced there wasn't the exact same specimen as what I experienced in public school, it was far more intense at times. The Corps of Cadets back then was pretty much what you observe in the first half of the movie Full Metal Jacket. Most of the sophomores were given the freedom to act like uh, Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, and, but this wasn't what I was afraid of anymore. I handled that level of engagement fairly well, getting more angry at times than anything else, but what really got me was what they called the Fish Drill Team, a freshman rifle drill team that was uh, handled by seven sophomore advisors called Hounds and for good reason. Two junior advisors and one senior advisor that was like a, a demigod to us. Though I don't necessarily regret joining it, uh, it was a, a dark organization at the time. These were some of the hardest individuals I had ever met, and some of them were terrifying. Their level of cruelty was more than I had ever experienced. Uh, we, we would have practice every morning and afternoon throughout the school year, and even the memory of the anxiety that came upon me before I ran out to, to form up for practice is enough to make me a little nauseous still today. Again, this fear was of a different kind. It was fear of the unknown limits and the violent, uh, the violent other mixed with the unknown limits of what I was willing to put myself through in, in order to succeed that's something that many said I couldn't uh, succeed in. I was embracing a darkness being introduced to my soul as a means of overcoming other fears. It was an opportunity to conquer my fear of pain, of abuse, of rejection, of failure, by hardening myself to the point that I could not feel these things anymore. I realized this wasn't the case for every cadet, but it was what was going on in, inside of me. It's hard to explain the weight of anxiety I carried in myself that year. I was spat on, urinated on, kicked in the ribs, hit with a rifle, told to do push-ups in an ant pile. I was, I was told to stay in the push-up position for an hour 
one time without my knees ever touching the ground or I'd be signaling that I quit, that I was off the team. Sometimes we went, uh, we want things so bad that we partially become someone else, do things we'd never agreed to otherwise, in order to obtain what we are lusting over, longing for. I wanted to pr- prove that I was not afraid, that I was not a quitter, that you cannot affect me unless I allowed you to. And then the bottom dropped out. As I've communicated in in the episode on who I am, my girlfriend breaking up with me and my father developing cancer broke through the hardened heart that I was layering each day with more mortar. Through events centered around Marine Corps OCS, which corresponded with my dad's cancer, I broke down. I reached the bottom. I had reached a place where I wasn't afraid of many outside threats anymore, but I was afraid of my own failure and my father's death. And God finally brought me to a place where I, I, let, I let those things go. And God was there, still resting his hand on my shoulder, still nudging me in the right direction. But the, the fear was gone. God allowed me to turn in, into a, a, burning, a burning room so that I could realize that I wasn't capable of overcoming fear on my own. I was, over, I was capable of overcoming the demons and the bullying with my own logic and, and strategies, uh, so, so I thought, and I tried. Um, but I wasn't. I wasn't uh, capable of overcoming those things on my own. And I suspect that many of you feel the same ways. My, own, my ways only, only took me further into the burning room. It was when I dropped to my knees and admitted defeat that I again understood what peace was available to me, the peace offered by my Creator, by my God. A movie line that that, uh, always stands out to me is when Carmine Falcone uh, says to Bruce Wayne that you always fear what you don't understand. There's a temptation in an attempt to overcome fear to embrace the darkness that you're afraid of so that it is no longer threatening to you. Evil seeks to control through fear, but then it also invites those who are tired of being bullied to become the bully. It invites the spiritually anxious to indulge in the demonic so that they may feel at home in the darkness. I must admit that there is a power I gained from all the hardships I went through. Knowing how much pain I can endure and that pain isn't the worst thing out there has a certain positive value to it in this life. I, I have a switch I can turn on now to endure certain things that terrified me as a child. But this isn't the source of my confidence anymore. My confidence comes from reaching the bottom in my life and still finding Christ Jesus there with his hand on my shoulder, asking me to stop running asking me to follow him, asking me to love him back uh, by trusting him with my life. That's where my strength lies these days. David understood the strength I speak of much more than I could probably ever imagine. He wrote of it in Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. 
Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is with us in the fire. He's with us on the boat in the storm. He's with us in the jail cell. He's with us in the pain of loss and of cancer. He's with us at the bottom of the pit of despair. He is with us when fear comes knocking at the door. Bonhoeffer recognized this in, in his Winter's Night Vesper Sermon. He continued on, The human doesn't have to be afraid. We should, we should not be afraid. That is what makes humans different from all other creatures. In the midst of every situation where there is no way out, where nothing is clear, where it is our, our fault, we know that there is hope. And this hope is called, Thy will be done. Yes, thy will is being done. Bonhoeffer quoted a line from a, an old uh, song that, that he enjoyed. This world must fall, God stands above all. His thoughts unswayed, his word unstayed. His will forever are ground and hope. He continues, Do you ask, how do you know? Then we name the name of the one who makes the evil inside us recoil, who makes fear and anxiety themselves tremble with fear and puts them to flight. We name the one who overcame fear and led it captive in the victory procession, who nailed it to the cross and committed it to oblivion. We name the one who is the shout of victory of humankind redeemed from the fear of death. Jesus Christ, the crucified and living one, he alone is Lord over fear. It knows him as its master. It gives way to him alone. So look to Christ when you are afraid. Think of Christ. Keep him before your eyes. Call upon Christ and pray to him. Believe that he is with you now, helping you. Then fear will grow pale and fade away, and you will be free through your faith in our strong and living Savior, Jesus Christ. Those words from Bonhoeffer, of course, resonate with me as well. Uh, I have found them to be true as I have focused on Christ over the years. Uh, I have learned the power of his presence, the power of his name. The childish version of me uh, probably had it closest to right saying the powerful name of Jesus and understanding that the light of the Christmas tree is always available is what overcomes fear. Translating that as an adult, I, I imagine the uh, dark room light because in Christ all is illuminated. I hope that you'll reflect on the light and life that is available in Christ Jesus. He who overcame fear and death on your behalf and offers his presence to you in order to make you whole again. Until next time, this is Jason Truett Glenn reminding you that we don't live in a world without love.